If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah in chapter number 3. Isaiah chapter number 3. And I want to look tonight at sin's curse. Sin's curse. And we find that in Isaiah chapter 3, Isaiah deals with the judgment of Judah and Jerusalem because of their sin. Not just merely that they had sinned, but that they had embraced sin. They had took sin to a place where they praised it in the streets. They were no longer ashamed of their sin. And because of it, God brought judgment upon them. Um, I've said this before, I'm not teaching or preaching replacement theology, and I don't believe that um, we have replaced Israel, nor do I believe that America has replaced Israel. Yet I do believe that how God looks and views sin and how he deals with sin is consistent. And so I think that there are lessons, although this was dealing with specifically with Judah and Jerusalem, I still believe that there are um, lessons that we can learn that will reveal to us God's view of sin. In Isaiah chapter 3, begin reading in verse number 1. I want to read down through verse number 7. The Bible says, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, and the diviner and the elder, and the captain of fifty and the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful artisan, and the expert enchanter. I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder, and the base toward the honorable. When a man takes hold of his brother in the house of his father, saying, You have clothing, and be our ruler, and let these ruins be under your power, and that day he will protest, saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. Here we see that sin's curse has been brought upon the nations of Judah and Jerusalem. And I want to preach on this for just a few moments tonight. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you. And God, I pray that you might be with us now. Lord, may the words and the truths of you, Lord, may it, uh, Lord, reveal in our own lives, Lord, the dangers of sin. God, if there is any sin in our lives that we have embraced, Lord, or any sins, Lord, that maybe, uh, Lord, we're even unaware of, God, I pray that you might draw us tonight to repentance. Lord, may your Holy Spirit have liberty to prick at our hearts and convict us of the ways and deeds that are contrary to your word. Lord, we thank you for what you've done, and Lord, we ask that you would do a great work in our hearts tonight. In your name we pray, amen. The effects of sin. Here we find that sin's curse has taken hold, and because Jerusalem and Judah have embraced sin, that there are some effects of sin that will begin to transpire in Jerusalem and Judah throughout Israel. They are about to face the consequences of their sin. 
The first effect that we see here is that there is a crumbling of society, a crumbling of society. Sin, when it is embraced, not just merely that sin is transpires, but when sin is embraced within a nation, within a people, it always rots to the core, and sooner or later, any society that embraces sin will crumble. We are seeing that in our own nation because we have embraced sin. We will we think that we have gotten by with it for a little time, but we are already beginning to see the crumbling of society because we are being judged because of our sin. We find here in Scripture that there are uh, several things that we would like to look at that begins to crumble, that breaks down the fabrics of a society. And it begins with this. It says uh, that the, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. The crumbling of society begins with good food and water is gone. Good food and water begins to disappear. This is the things that, um, that sustain society, very food and water being life itself begin to crumble. We find that God says, listen, because of your sin, I want to take away the life support, the very thing that you depend upon for your existence. And we have to remember God is doing this to punish them, but not, near, not merely just to punish them for a sake of bringing vengeance or revenge against, them, against Israel. God is doing this so that they might repent and might return back to him. That is God's effect. And so I believe so even in our own hearts, and our own nation, God allows things to transpire, not because he's evil and wants uh, evil things for us, but rather he is good and he desires that we would repent of our sins and confess our sins and turn back to him. Here, the crumbling of society begins in verse number one with good food and good water. It says the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. Watch this, verse number two. The mighty man and the man of war. Also, the soldiers began to be removed. Not just that it's the individuals, but it is the safety of the people to where there is no longer safety, to where they feel like those that would protect their safety are no longer there and available. And we find that that is the case in our nation, that uh, there is a, uh, there's a crumbling of our, uh, of our safety in our nation. There are those, even uh, our police, who would... Uh, serve and protect, that uh, there is a lot of departments that are full of corruption and other departments that are there that maybe are not full of corruption. They're being targeted, and, and there is, uh, we're crying for safety, yet there is little to be found. Next we find here the Bible says, watch this, the mighty man, the man of war, the judge, and the prophet. This is the civil and religious leaders. There is a decay of them. There is an eroding away of that of the judges or that of uh, divine rule, and also of the prophet, the religious leaders. There's a decay. There's a lack of righteousness. There is a lack of justice within the nation. There is a lack of leaders who will stand up and lead morally. And boy, we're in a decay in America, are we not, with our leaders of our churches? And not just our churches, but our government, our courts, our nations. We're in trouble. You say, preacher, why, why is that? It is because as a nation, as a people, we have embraced sin. 
We've said that sin is okay. We have allowed sin to run rampant in our hearts and our minds. And we permit things to enter into our home through the television that used to we never would have even imagined or contemplated. But now we'll let it enter right into our homes. We allow social media and the news. And we allow uh, corruption to fill our society and our hearts. And we have come to a place where we have began to embrace sin. And as a result, the rod of sin is tearing down our nation. Not just our nation, but it is affecting our churches as it is affecting our homes. The crumbling of society. There will be a degradation of the civil and religious leaders. Watch with me in verse number 3. It says, Sorry, verse number three, uh, two, the mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, and the diviner and the elder. I want to say something, that there's the diviner in the verse number three, there's the expert enchanter. Isaiah is not putting his stamp of approval upon these people, but rather saying they were influential people in the society, and all of a sudden, all people of influence are gone. The wise people, those that brought wisdom, those who brought direction, they are all gone. The military men, the captains of 50, and the honorable man, they're all gone. They are no longer to be found. The counselor and the skillful artisan, that is the skilled workers, they are gone. We find that there is a complete crumbling of society. The food, the safety, the religious and the cultural leaders, the wise people, the military workers, the skilled laborers, the workforce is gone. It has disappeared. Does any of this sound familiar tonight? What's the problem? The problem is sin. We have embraced sin, and sin is rotting through the core of our people. And as a result, we are seeing the very fabric of our society crumble before us. And I want you to know, the answer will not be in the next political campaign or the next politician. It must come from God's people turning back to him. There must be a repentance of our sin. There must be a rejection of our wicked ways where we come to a place where we say, God, we recognize that we have sinned before you, as David said, against thee, and thee only have I sinned. When we come to that place, we can find hope. But as long as we embrace sin, America is doomed. Our homes are doomed unless we can repent of our sin and turn back to God. Thus we're led to the actual root of society's breakdown. It is spiritual, it is against the Lord. But we find that because they had a spiritual evilness in their heart, that God said, I will bring judgment so that you might repent and turn to me. The problem is, is that so often us people, and we look at the nation of Israel, and truly they represent you and I in the same mindsets that we have, that we think we can handle a little judgment. God brings judgment, and we should repent immediately and turn back to God and confess our sins before him. But instead, what do we do? We say we get adjusted to the 
to the calamity. We get adjusted to the judgment of God and think, you know what, it was rough at first, but we can handle it. At first, COVID was devastating, was it not? At first, we thought this is the end. Society has fully collapsed. Things have gone into chaos. But now, three years down the road, we become adjusted to, and we have learned how to function in, I believe, in many ways, God's judgment. We think it's okay. We've gotten accustomed and used to it, and we have learned how to function. Instead of repenting and turning to God and saying, listen, God, I reject my ways. Lord, I reject my wickedness. Lord, I reject my, uh, reject my stubbornness. God, I want you and you only. Instead, we say, well, we can function now. We're Okay. What happens? The rot continues to tear down and to destroy. And this is the effects of sin. There's a crumbling society, but also there is a loss of uh, the quality of life. The loss of the quality of life. As we go down through and read all of Isaiah chapter 3, you begin to find out that uh, God begins to bring judgment in many different ways. Look down with me. In verse number, uh, verse number 10. Isaiah chapter 3. And verse number 10. It says, Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them. For they shall eat of the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked. It shall be ill with him. For the reward of his hand shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors. Women rule over them. O oh, my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. Verse number 14, the Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyards. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people? And grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts. God begins to bring judgment upon them. Verse number 18, we see, In that day, the Lord will take away the finery, the jingling anklets, the scars and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets and the veils, the headdresses, the leg ornaments and the headbands, the perfume boxes, the charms and the rings, the nose jewels, the festal apparel, and the mantles, the outer garments, the purses, and the mirrors, the fine linen, the turbans, and the robes. And so it shall be, instead of sweet smell, there will be a stench. We said there was a crumbling society, but also there is a loss of quality of life. And the Bible says to start with, the sweet smell will be replaced by stench. Where once there was beauty, where it was a sweet smelling savor before God, when God looked down upon Israel and their praise, their worship, their sacrifice was a sweet smelling savor to the Lord, God says now to be replaced by stench. I believe that in many ways this is a relation or, or correlates with false worship. 
with worship that is outward fleshly instead of spirit-based. And God says, listen, you're praising me with your words, but your life does not back it up, and it's a stench to me. You, you give me lip service, but you do not live it. And your sweet smell is turned into a stench. How about it tonight? As there is a loss of a quality of life here, and we find that it is effective. Sin and sin had infected their worship. It says then, instead of a sash, a rope, we see that their self image is lost. They are going to a place of having an ornamental sash around the robes, so now they're tying it together with just a piece of rope. Their image is lost. They no longer have anything to boast of, but God has brought them humble. It says, instead of well-set hair, baldness. Now, I won't go into all this tonight, but the Bible says that for a lady, her hair is her glory. And, and the Bible saying, listen, instead of well-set hair, baldness instead. And what I think that means is that shame will replace their glory. Instead of having a glory and a life of glory that is well-pleasing to God, instead there is a life of shame that is brought about. Shame. Because they have rejected God. We're going to look at why in just a moment. It says that not only did their well-set hair replaced by baldness, and said instead of a rich robe, a girding of sackcloth, poverty replaces wealth. And branding instead of beauty, instead of outward beauty that the world could see, they would be branded as a servant, as a slave, marking them as property belonging to someone else that would detract from their beauty, where no longer you would see their, uh, their beauty, but instead you would see a mark of another. And I want you to know tonight that sin will always do that. We will bear in our bodies the marks of sin and bear in our lives the marks of sin. Sin takes its toll on our lives. I've got family who, and you probably do as well, who were beautiful individuals who had so much potential, but they chose to live a life of sin and to embrace sin in their life. And now you look at them, and although they may be in their 30s, they appear like they're in their 90s because sin has taken its toil upon their life, and they bear the marks of sin. They've been branded by sin. Then lastly, it says, verse number 25, your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty in the war. Safety is replaced by service. Your gate, her gate shall lament and mourn, and she being desolate shall sit on the ground. There is a crumbling of society. There is a loss of quality of life. You say, preacher, my sin just affects me, and that is a lie that this world tries to tell. Preacher, I can live and do whatever I want. My sin only affects me, but I want you to know that is a lie of Satan. Sin does not just affect your life. It affects everyone that you come in contact with. Well, we see and hear the effects of sin, but we see here that the next step is there is an installation of poor leaders. Poor leaders. Because of their sin, God says, listen, I will take away your strong leaders, but instead I'm going to give you someone else. Look at me in verse number four. 
says, I will give children to be your princes. Verse number 12, as for my people, children are their oppressors. Children. Those who do not have maturity, those who do not have the ability to lead. And we talked about that in Sunday school this morning on the discipleship pathway where you go from babes in Christ and uh, that you want to hopefully uh, mature to a place where you are a spiritual parent that reproduces other Christians. And so that is the, the goal for every Christian. But you don't want Christian, uh, you don't want children being led or being leaders because children are self-focused and inward focused. Children are all about me. I love my daughters. They are wonderful. They're here tonight and they're listening somewhat. Um, they're here, but they are children are inward focused. It's all about what do I get out of it. They're needy. They're not self-sufficient. And although as they grow, they become more and more self-sufficient. They don't start out that way, do they? says instead of righteous leaders you're gonna have children who only care about themselves who want to build their own power their own kingdom their own rule instead of that of the people we find that not just in the government although we have some childish leaders in our nation that are self-consumed we also find this within churches and within uh, within uh, the church of Christ and the bride of Christ, we find children that are leading those who are self-consumed, men who claim to be servants of God, but are more consumed with building their own kingdom than they are the kingdom of heaven. Then it says, verse number four, not only will they give you children to be princes, and babes shall rule over them. Those start off with children, those who are self-consumed, and then it turns into babies, those who do not even have the wherewithal to make any right decision. Then verse number 12, going back, it says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. There is not an issue with ladies. I think to understand this, that is, this is not Isaiah condemning women at all. But rather, you have to understand from a social standpoint, in their day and time, women did not lead. It was socially unacceptable. It was politically unacceptable. Women did not have a place of leadership in that society. And Isaiah, what Isaiah was saying was, not that there's a problem with women, but he was saying, listen, everything that you are used to and accustomed to is going to be turned upside down because of your sin. I want to look in verse number 8. I think here becomes the crux of this passage of Scripture. Of Isaiah chapter 3. Jerusalem and Judah are under judgment of God because of their sin. And here we find the source of sin. Here we find out why. It says, for Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen. For, this is a clause saying, listen, this is why all the previous judgments have happened. Jerusalem stumbled and Judah is fallen. That is, they have erred in their walk of pleasing God. They have turned themselves from serving God and they have erred. And here we have why. It says, because their tongue 
and their doings are against the Lord and provoke the eyes of his glory. Wicked tongues. Wicked tongues. Their tongues and their doings are against the Lord. We find here that their wicked tongues was why God brought judgment upon them. We find that it's not just their deeds, but they had come to a place where they began to embrace their sin and brag about it with no reserve. They didn't care. They only sinned, but they were happy that they sinned. There was no shame in their sin. And with their tongues, they blasphemed against God. And they threw it in God's face and said, Lord, we will do whatever we want. We talk about sin. We discuss sin. And it does not bother us anymore. With their tongues, they're against the Lord. They spoke evil of the Lord. There was a problem in their heart and they had no issue to shake their fist at a righteous God and in his face declare that he had no rule or authority over them, but rather they could live and do their own things. And God said, because of your tongue, because you have willfully spoken evil against me, God says, I must judge you. And then... It says, not their tongue, it says, and their doings. They spoke evil of the Lord. They spoke of sin without shame. But then we find they did evil deeds. They did evil deeds. Verse number 14. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. I, I want to look at. This verse number 14 that I think coincides with verse number 8 in giving insight to why they were judged. The Bible says in verse number 8 that their, their deeds were against the Lord. And verse number 14 tells us what their deeds were. It says, for you have eaten up the vineyard. It is that they were living self-gratification. There was no restraints on the pleasures that they sought. They wanted to feed their flesh, and they ate up the vineyards to the point that they ate them up completely. They consumed the vineyards till there was nothing left. Not that they ate of the vineyard. The Bible says you have eaten up the vineyard. You have gorged yourself past that of comfort and have done so to your own damage. I remember as a young child, my parents um, had a uh, fish tank they had purchased. We lived in South Florida and um, they had uh, a saltwater tank, I believe. that had, they had, Dad had a good job and worked around a lot of fish and he had built up thousands of dollars in fish in this fish tank, very large tank. But you had to be careful how much you fed the fish because if you overfed them, they would eat to the point that it would kill them. 
Well, they left us with a babysitter and went out to eat one night at a restaurant. And then my sister were there, and I asked the babysitter, can I feed the fish? She said, "Is your parents let you? And being about four years old, I said, sure they do. What did I do? I dumped the entire thing of food in the fish tank. An hour or so later, my parents got home, and guess what? Every fish in the tank was dead. They ate themselves into oblivion. Here we have, that's what happens in Isaiah 3.14. They have eaten up the vineyard. They have consumed and fed their flesh. They have felt their own gratification, their own lives, to consume everything that they could get their hands on till there was nothing left. God said, your deeds are evil against me. Because instead of being vessels of blessings to bless others, you have consumed everything to yourself. Church, do you know tonight that God has given to us, not because all the time he's trying to cause us to hoard up a great resource, but God gives to us so that he can give through us. And God will give through you what he will not always give to you. And so here we find that God gave them, God blessed them with vineyards, but instead of using it to help others, they consumed it to themselves. And God said, because of that, your deeds are evil in my sight because you are consuming to yourself. Then he says, for you have eaten up the vineyard, the plunder of the poor is in your houses. Reminded of David, remember when he was said, listen, the prophet says, you know, there was a man who didn't have, who had much, and another man had little. And the man who had much took from the man who had little. And he was talking about David and Bathsheba taking it from Uriah. And David proclaimed, whoever it is, he proclaimed judgment against him. And the man of God said to David, said, you're the man. Thou art the man. That's kind of what it is here. They had consumed everything to themselves. Not only did they eat up and not even worry about giving to others, the Bible says the plunder of the poor is in your houses. Not only did they not give to others, but they took from them and said, I want to build up even more. The neglect of the poor the consumption, the abuse of others, the taking from the have-nots to sustain more gifts for the haves. The Bible says, your deeds are wicked. I want to take a moment, and I'll be done momentarily, but I want to praise North Etowah Baptist Church in this regard. Our church does a lot for our community with benevolence. We do. Um, we do more. People stopped in yesterday and dropped off a bunch of packages of food, and we're constantly giving. And uh, Sister Maureen is constantly helping people and, and taking of our benevolence. Our church is one of the most benevolent churches I've ever met. I thank the Lord for that. We, uh, what, tripled our budget for benevolence this year? Thank the Lord for that. But we must guard our hearts that we never come to a place 
where we say, I want to neglect them so that we can do more for us. Because really when we give and do for them, we're going to get the blessings anyways. Not because we're giving for a blessing, but God blesses those who give. We can't outgive God. Listen, we've got some budget constraints that are uh, hitting us. And right now, I, I'm praying that, I, that our, our giving will increase, that our budget will increase. We've got much work to be done. And I hate spending money, but it takes money to do ministry. And so we've got things that we need to do. And I want God to do that. But we need people to give. And people say, listen, preacher, we can't give. We're already maxed out. All I know is we cannot give God. The Bible says that God will be a debtor to no man. God will be a debtor to no man. I won't go tonight, but you can go over to 1 Corinthians and you'll find that uh, the church at Macedonia, that says they gave out of their deep poverty. The poorer they got, the more they gave. And the more they gave, the poorer they got. But somehow, even though they got poorer and poorer, God kept giving through them. And God did great works in that church at Macedonia. Because they just said, Lord, we just want to serve you. And if we'll get to a place where we say, listen, God, it's not about pleasing ourselves. It's not about saying, look at us. But, Lord, we just want to give so that you might be honored and glorified. Maybe it might be our money. It may be us reaching into our back pocket, pulling out our wallets and giving what we haven't been giving. It may be saying, listen, it's not just about the money, but I'm going to step out and say, Lord, I'm not just going to give my wallet, but I'm going to give my life. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give my talents to serve God. Just say, Lord, I want to give. If you'll give through me, Lord, if you'll provide, I'll bestow the blessings. But as soon as we lock down the storehouse, God will stop his pouring. He will. And what God says is, listen, if you'll step back, I pour out my blessings upon you. The curse of sin. We're facing many issues in our nation, but at the core of it all is sin. And we can get mad, point around, but I've said it a hundred times and I'm going to keep saying it. We're going to have to turn looks inward at some point. At some point in time, we're going to have to look inside our heart and say, God, reveal to me what it is that's contrary to you. And then when God reveals our sin, don't run and try to justify it. Just say, Lord, be merciful. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in prayer. Lord, I want to say thank you for your blessings. Lord, I'm... Lord, I'm fearful for our our churches, our nation. Lord, we are seeing the evidence of collapse of society because of sin. Yet, Lord, we also hold fast to the faith and the hope, knowing that, Lord, that you always grant grace, Lord, when we repent and turn to you. Lord, may North Etowah, Lord, may we be a church that is faithful to you. Lord, if there's anything 
in our hearts that is hindering your blessings. Lord, may you reveal it. Lord, may you purge it out of our lives that you might have liberty in our hearts. In Christ's name we pray.